A number of years ago, I ran the Vancouver Marathon. I didn't train much for it in terms of physical training. I did a lot of visualization exercises. That was a mistake, so if you get nothing else out of the message, train if you run a marathon, physically. I had a couple of simple goals for the race. One was to complete the entire race without stopping, so to keep running throughout the whole race, and also to finish strong. Uh, we began the race in downtown Vancouver here, and uh, I remember running through the downtown core. Uh, we made our way over the Lionsgate Bridge and then began running east toward the Second Narrows Bridge. We got onto the Second Narrows Bridge at around the 20-mile mark, and I was definitely hitting the proverbial wall. I was feeling exhausted, I was hurting, I was thinking I definitely should have physically trained more, not just rely on visualization techniques. Eventually, made it across the Second Narrows Bridge, and as we were running west toward the city, I could see the skyline, I knew the end was in sight, I felt this burst of energy and was able to finish. You know, no matter what our stage or age in life, uh, we want to run our race of life well. And if we believe in God, we want to run our race of faith well in a manner of speaking. You know, if we persevere in our life with God, that will have all kinds of ripple effects in other areas of our life. It will impact the way we relate to other people. It will shape our relationships. It will alter the way we approach our studies. It will transform the way we view our work. And if we have a close relationship with God, it will make us into a certain kind of person. Uh, we will grow into people of wisdom and courage and compassion and resilience. And over these next several weeks, we're going to be exploring what it looks like to become people of resilient faith. We're going to be looking at the famous Hebrews 11 chapter in the Bible. We're going to be looking at, at, at people who are featured in the so-called Hall of Faith chapter and others. Uh, they're singled out because of their faith, meaning their trust in the faithfulness of God. We'll be looking at people like Moses, David, and Esther, people who exhibited resilient faith. But as we begin our series, we're going to be looking at Abraham, who is considered to be the founder of our faith, or the, the founding father of faith. And so in Genesis chapter 12, we read about how God approaches Abraham, who at the time was known as Abram. Now, Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude. So we could say, Abram, daddy. Abraham, big daddy. And so listen to 
God's word from Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. May the Spirit of God speak to us through this, his inspired word. So here in this passage, we see that Abraham was called, along with his wife Sarah, to leave their country, their people, Abraham's father's household, and to go to a land that God would show them. And similarly, in Hebrews 11, verse 8, we read, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And so in this passage in Hebrews, we see that Abraham and Sarah were called. I don't know if God used a horn to get their attention or not. And they launch out into this adventure of faith. And one of the things that we learn through the journey of Abraham and Sarah is that resilient people listen to a call from God. Resilient people listen to a call from God. Now, when we sense that we have been called by God, say, to a particular course of study, a relationship, a particular kind of work, that sense of call to those things, to the study, to the relationship, to the work, to the whatever, will cause us to persevere in those things. And if we feel called by God to trust and follow him, we will exhibit resilient faith. Now, we know that Abraham and Sarah were famously called to leave their community of Ur in modern-day southern Iraq and to venture out into a land that eventually would be known as Canaan. Now, we, many of us, if we've read Genesis, will recall that part of their call. But I want to focus in on another very important part of their call in verse 2 where God says to Abraham, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I want to focus on God's call to make Abraham's name great, to explore what that would mean for him, what that means for us when God says, I will make your name great, and how knowing this call to have a great name will cause us to be resilient in our faith journey. Now, in the previous chapter in Genesis 11, we read about these people on the plain of Shinar who are aspiring to build this tall tower called the Tower of Babel. They're trying to build a tower that will reach up to the heavens. What is their motive for doing this? Well, according to the passage, they want to, quote, make a name for themselves. When we make it our primary aim to make a great name for ourselves, our name ultimately will be 
forgotten. Abraham has no ambition to make a great name for himself, but God says to him, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And perhaps when we think about Abraham's name, we think of a great name, the one who is known as the father of the Jews, the faith father of the Christians and the Muslims. But in this ancient Near Eastern world, a name was more than simply a label that a person used to refer to someone. It was something that actually revealed their character. A name was more than simply some kind of tag that a person had to be addressed by. A name was a window into their very nature. And when God called Abraham and Sarah to have great names, uh, in their case, he was actually calling them to have well-known names eventually, but he was calling them also to become people of great character. And when God calls you to a great name and and, and me to a great name, he's not necessarily calling us to have a well-known, famous name, but he is calling us to have a great name in the sense of a great character, to become people, among other things, of resilient faith. So how does God build this great name, great character, and, and therefore resilient faith in us? Well, how does God do it for Abraham and Sarah? We see that part of the way that God does this is by calling them into this place, this land that God would show them. God leads Abraham and Sarah from a known place to an unknown place. They were living in Ur for all of their lives, Abraham for 75 years, Sarah for 65 years. They were familiar with Ur's roads. This was a major metropolitan center, as I mentioned, in modern-day southern Iraq. They would have known the markets where the stores were. They would have felt comfortable, probably at least familiar with Abraham's family because they were living with his clan. Uh, They would have known their neighbors. They would have had their home set up just the way they wanted to. But God leads them from this known place to an unknown place, from a familiar place to an unfamiliar place, from a secure place to a place where they feel insecure. And sometimes the way God grows resilient faith in us is by leading us from a familiar place to an unfamiliar place, to a known place, to an unknown place. For some of you, when you came to Vancouver, it was an unknown place for you, a new place. Uh, For Sharon coming to Vancouver, it's it's a new place for her. She was actually living here some years ago, but it was new then and new in a sort of different way now. Some of us will be called to a new course of study, a new line of work, a new relationship. For some of us, a relationship will end for us and we'll be in a new chapter of our lives. For pretty much all of us, the pandemic felt unfamiliar, new in a not good way. Some of us will be called to a journey within which will include unfamiliar territory inside us. And 
being led into an unfamiliar place where we feel insecure can be difficult. But that can also be the place where we learn to trust God in our vulnerability and grow a resilient faith and a great name, a great character. And if our lives belong to Christ, we can know with confidence, as Paul says in Romans 8.28, that all things are working together for good for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. When our life belongs to Christ, we can know that God is causing all things to work together for our ultimate good, meaning for us to be transformed into the image of Christ. God is causing us to grow in character, to become resilient in faith through new experiences, through challenging circumstances that may be unfamiliar to us. How else might God cause us to grow and to exhibit a great name in the sense of a great character and a resilient faith? Well, not only did God lead Abraham and Sarah to a new and unknown place, he also allowed them to wait. God promised Abraham and Sarah that they would become parents. That promise was made to them when Abraham was 75 years old and Sarah was 65. For about 50 years, they had experienced infertility, which in their traditional ancient Near Eastern culture, where family meant everything, would have been considered a total disaster. It would have been considered a judgment from the gods. And so God promises them at age 75 and 65 that they would give birth to a child and this child would become a great nation. That promise must have seemed ludicrous to them when Abraham was 75, Sarah was 65, and they're well beyond childbearing years. Do you know how long they waited for that promise to be fulfilled? If you read it in my Bible, it's about eight pages. So if you're skimming the text, you, it seems like it happens pretty quickly. But they wait 25 years for that promise to be fulfilled. Abraham is 100 years old when he becomes a first-time father. The Bible says he was as good as dead. The Bible describes Sarah as being way beyond childbearing years at age 90. They waited a long time. And their faith, their waiting was not perfect. They became restless, really restless and doubtful at around year 10 of the promise. And so Sarah says to Abraham, look, I'm way too old to have a baby to get pregnant. Why don't you sleep with my servant Hagar? He does. They have a child together named Ishmael. But God doesn't direct them to do that. They're following not the voice of God in that moment, but the customs of their world. Nonetheless, God blesses that son, Ishmael. So their faith wasn't perfect, but they waited and they learned to trust God. And sometimes the way God grows a great name, a great character in us is by allowing us to wait. And all of us here are probably waiting for something. 
Maybe we're waiting for doors to open to a certain school or for a course of study to end. Maybe we're waiting for a certain kind of work to open up. Or maybe we're waiting for a relationship to begin. Maybe like Abraham and Sarah, we're waiting for a child. Maybe we're waiting for someone important in our lives to experience a turnaround. Maybe that someone is us. Maybe we're waiting for someone's health to be restored. Maybe we're waiting for chaos to end. And waiting can be difficult, especially when it feels like not much is happening while we wait. This past summer, our family was in Chicago. I was there to speak. We were also visiting some dear friends of my wife, whom she had first met when she was doing a high school exchange program there years ago. At the end of our trip, we're at Chicago O'Hare Airport, ready to board a flight back to Vancouver. The person at the Air Canada counter makes this announcement. This flight is completely full. Would anyone like to volunteer to check their luggage? Now, I never check luggage because I like to have it with me. But I figure, this is a direct flight from Chicago to Vancouver, there's, there's no way they can lose my luggage. There's just no way. So I very magnanimously and, and generously volunteer my luggage to be checked. We arrive at YVR at the airport in Richmond. I go to the carousel, and guess what? My luggage is not there. Either the airline has lost it, or someone has inadvertently picked it up. I circle that carousel countless times. It's obviously not there, but I keep circling it. (laughs) I look at other carousels, it's not there. I eventually go to the counter for lost luggage and file a report. And the person behind the counter asks me, by chance, did you have any cash inside? I say, I never travel with cash, but this time I happen to have some cash. (laughs) It wasn't a huge amount, but it wasn't a small amount either. But more importantly, In that luggage, I had a journal that I'd been writing in for two or three years over the pandemic and a diary that I've been keeping, a daily diary, for four years. I can't reproduce those. So I felt the weight of anxiety as I left. I had a a tag on my, my luggage with my phone number waiting for that phone call, waiting for an email. Nothing comes. The next day... I wait for that phone call, check my email many times. No one has reached out to me. And so that afternoon, I log on to the Air Canada website, type in my ID number, up pops a message saying, your luggage has been found in Chicago. (laughs) It will be flown back to Vancouver and delivered by courier to your home. I felt a wave of relief a real sense of, this is good, finally. Even though I still had some waiting to do, I felt a lot better because I knew something was happening. The luggage came later that night. When we are waiting and feel like nothing is happening, nothing is moving forward, that can be especially tough and frustrating. But if we know something is happening, that helps. Most of us are waiting for something far more significant than luggage, my luggage that's been lost. And it's not easy. 
But if you know that God is doing something while you wait in you, for you, it can make the waiting more endurable. A pastor that I know who served in the San Francisco Bay Area for a number of years, John Orberg, has said, what God does in us while we wait is just as important as what we're waiting for. What God does in us while we wait, forming perseverance, patience, whatever it is, hope, is just as important as what we're waiting for. And sometimes God calls us to weight training, not this kind of weight training, but weight, W-A-I-I-I-T-T-T-T-T kind of training. It's not pleasant, but as we trust God in our waiting, God can form Christ's character in us, his resilience, and his hope. In Romans chapter 5, Paul writes that suffering, including the suffering of waiting, produces perseverance. And perseverance, godly character, and character, hope. And hope ultimately does not disappoint us. And so sometimes, like this young one, we can laugh through our waiting. I hope that you can laugh like that, that uh, dear child. Abraham and Sarah had a lot of waiting to do. And so this inspired quite a bit of hope. They waited for a quarter century for Isaac to be born. They waited for their names, their characters, to be made strong. And that happened. They waited for land, but did they ever actually really receive the promise of the land? According to Hebrews chapter 11, they entered the promised land as strangers, as foreigners, as pilgrims, living in tents. And according to the book of Acts chapter 7, in Stephen's speech, although they entered the promised land, they never inherited enough land to fit their feet in. So they did not receive any of the promised land as their own. They received zero. But Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham and Sarah and others were looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God, that they were looking forward to a better country, that they were longing for a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Tish Warren is a gifted author, and she describes how a little over 10 years ago, her marriage was in a very fragile and difficult place. She and her husband, Jonathan, had grown miserable and lonely and weary after years and years of fighting. They asked others to pray for them, and then one day they dropped off their young children with his mother, and, and they drove off to Chattanooga, Tennessee, which was not far away for them. And they spent time hiking, eating delicious food, and yelling and shouting at each other. At the end of their time in Chattanooga, they walked into a gift shop. 
And they bought a magnet that still is on their fridge to this day. And on the magnet are these words. Everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. Everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. And Tish said, these words expressed their hope that with Jesus Christ, even though they might experience difficulty in this world, he would eventually overcome the world for them with them, for us with us. Julian of Norwich, the mystic, famously said, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And if our life is joined to Jesus Christ, we can say everything will be okay, that all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well, because our destination is the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God, because our destination is a heavenly one. And when we understand that with all our heart, we become people of resilient faith and hope. I close with this. We've been looking at some passages in Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 12, the writer pens these words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily entangle us. And let us run with endurance the race set out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. If we want to go the distance, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, attach our life to his, to the one who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. What, is, what does that mean? For the joy set before him, face the cross. He was anticipating the joy, of course, of being raised from the dead, of resurrection three days later. But more than that, he was anticipating how his death on the cross could wash away our sins so that he could be with us. We were the joy that he was looking forward to. And if our life is joined to his, we can become people of endurance who run our race well, who finish strong with resilient faith. And one day we will cross the finish line and we will experience resurrection and we will know joy unspeakable. Let's pray together. No matter what your age or stage, do you want to be a person who runs your life of faith well? Do you want to go the distance with God's help? Do you want to be a person who exhibits resilient faith? If so, in your heart, look to Jesus and attach or reattach your life to his and say, let's do this together. Let's do this race together. And with your strength and your help, we will go all the way.
and we will run well and finish strong. For Jesus, you are not only the author, but the finisher of our faith as well. And so may you start and finish well with Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.